0: The title of the talk is uh, The Now of All Time. I thought that was a very clever title. The Now of All Time. And uh, <clears throat> it, this is a difficult talk uh, because it, uh, you, can be, you can hear it on a conceptual level, on an intellectual level, uh, 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 sort of about the now of all time, or you can listen to it from the now of all time, in which case it'll make uh, it'll make a realized difference as to what position you hold, either listening to it about. Then it becomes, it's words that are very uh, refined in meaning. <clears throat> and can be uh, difficult to digest. So it's a, it's a difficult t- talk for the speaker, and it's difficult talk for the listener. Uh, and if it gets so that you just hear it as an abstract uh, conceptual talk, then just um, try to enter whatever word in the talk has meaning for you, and try to enter it at some point so that you can live the experience of what is being said rather than just hearing it. So it's also, I'm changing metaphors on you. I I like to do that. I I do that deliberately uh, because I want to jolt you out of the comforts of the language that you're used to. I it's very important, it has been for me, and I think it would be for everybody if they would allow themselves the opportunity to hear from a different vantage point, hear the same thing, though told from a different storyline, from a different point of view. Because you have to shake yourself out of the words that you're used to into the words that are being said, and you have to find the match. You have to enter the match. And what that does for you is it broadens your appreciation of that word, no matter which tradition you hear it from, and you enter in a different kind of space, a different type of orientation to it. And I have only found that that reorientation to the same word can be helpful, can be very helpful. So I, I encourage you to do that. So I'm going to talk about the spiritual journey uh, from one, O-N-E, which is the full embodiment, egoic embodiment of self, the full sense of self-differentiation, the whole sense of of autonomy of self, isolated from the rest of life, having to work for its own gain and purpose, usually at the expense of those around us not in often in the benefit of those around us because this particular sense of one isn't oneness it's individuality and it's not really caring about anybody else but itself so that's an extreme level I'm not supposing that any of you and I know none of you are on that extreme level but I want to start us from that extreme level And the journey then we're going to be making is to zero. Zero being uh, inconceivable mystery. Inconceivable mystery. And so the journey from one to zero is a shift in changing what it is that we take the world as it's appearing to be as itself, or is it going to change along with us from one to zero? Because what we find, uh, if we get too stuck in our views about our world views or too needy in terms of an orientation that's secure and safe, is that we'll try to drag our worldview along with us as we move along the meditative journey towards zero. And zero will feel distant because we've never really left one. And so you begin to realize, let me uh, read uh, a different, uh, not a Buddhist but a Christian description of zero. This is from the Gospel of St. Thomas. Jesus said to them, When you make the two into one, and when you make the inner like the outer, and the outer like the inner, and the upper like the lower, and when you make male and female into a single one, so that the male will not be male, nor the female be female, then you have entered the kingdom i'm not sure if that's an invitation or a warning about the kingdom but for me it's a, it's a it's a huge shift of perspective or should be for all of us and i bring in another tradition because i want to, for us to hear the common ground of zero when it's spoken about from different traditions you can hear the common ground And so we say, oh, I see. So this zero is across traditions, it's across time. It's across time. And that gives us more confidence and assurance in the way we're moving. So the perspective that I am using really isn't uh, a Buddhist perspective or a Christian's perspective. It's a meditative perspective. And it's one that has... over many years, has shaken me considerably out of my self-assumptions. And I'm hoping it may have that effect on you as well. So, this journey of one to zero is difficult. It demands... It's difficult because... It's disorienting. We try to use the known strategies of our life to get from one to zero. It feels like a pr- another project that we're going to be doing. And we try to use the same forces, which I've spoken about on this retreat considerably, the same forces that we've used in every project. you know, our, self-effort, our will, our determination, thought, thought-based, uh, using our thoughts as real indications of our movement towards something, uh, distance and time uh, is wrapped up in how it is that we see our progression towards zero, uh, and our narrative. Uh, backs our journey, remembers where we started and weighs in on how we're doing. And so we bring, we try to bring the whole system, the whole view of dualism, of differentiation in with us as we move. And we keep then hearing that effort doesn't work like that. Self-effort simply doesn't work. There's nothing that will send you back faster to one than if you take charge of your own forcing effort forward and so it's just it just disempowers us as well as confuses us and there's a moment in which we say well maybe one's not so bad <laughs> 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 and and it's okay you know, that's, that is the reason, not the actual shift. That's easy. It's preparing the ground for that shift. It's the willingness to expect the unusual, be accommodating to the disorienting, to be adventuresome towards a mystery, uh, rather than to dig our heels down. And that's why there's so much reluctance in mass to make this journey, is that we want to take ourselves with us and recognize that we are now awake as ourselves. And changing nothing, hopefully, except my self-image. So it's with all of that, those lead weights of what we we have to move forward with, which creates the uh, impulse not to move at all. So where are we moving from and where are we moving to? See, the sense of self feels like it knows, which it doesn't, how could it possibly know? But, in fact, we're moving from a very isolated, lonely position called ourselves, encased in time, encased in time. As we've talked about, I also want to reinforce it today, that the sense of I and the sense of the world and the sense of me within the world is all encased in time. We bring time with us through every perception of reality. And we th- that's where we start, where we end up in this miraculous, inconceivable, incomprehensible sense of wonder is that there is no time, that it's or you could say that the now of forever. Well, how do I get from the isolated sense of time that I carry forth in my life to this wondrous and alluring, although sounds dangerous, sense of openness, wonder? We just have to remove time. <laughs> That's it. And so what does it look like? We, I... I call the moment we're in as one, as an individual, now. I call the journey and where it takes us, wait a minute, I call the, the point where we are now as one, the present. I take where the journey takes us is to now. So what is the difference between the present and now? Now? They sound like they're both very agreeable to meditation. And Narayan uh, actually mentioned this, and she may have even read this uh, quote from the Buddha, but I'll read it again. He says, let go of the past, let go of the future, let go of the present, and cross over to the farther shore of existence with mind wholly liberated, you should come no more to death and rebirth. So he's equating the present as a limitation. You're crossing over the present. Now, how is the present possibly a limitation? I mean, be here now. So when the present is between the rock of the future and the hard place of the past, it's an impoverished present. It's a present that we don't care about as one, we don't care about it. It's, we're moving through the present to get to what we really want and are driven by, which is the future. The future is where we want to go because there all my desires can be satisfied. Never realizing that desire itself is a force in time. It's what I need now and I know how to procure it then. So we think of desire as an emotional response to the moment. It's not. It's an avenue of time taking us out of the present, reconceiving the present into the future, which is where the candy bar lies or the ice cream, and not caring about the present because it doesn't have the ice cream, and waiting patiently or moving deliberately to procure the ice cream in the future. It's never... Here. It's always there. Now meditators, we know what what time is. I mean, every one of you should have had some sense of how thoughts create time. Because time is a thought about the future or a thought about the past. It's not a concrete thing that we enter. Where is the future? Where is the past? I mean, just even in terms of making sense, it's like it's obvious it's not here and never will be. So with that understanding and the understanding that the thought of a desire or fear fear is exactly the same thing, it's just in reverse of the desire, it's what I don't want rather than what I do. It still always has its fictional antagonist, its feared object ahead. Not what I fear now, it's what will happen if I don't do anything now to this moment, the feared object will appear. So we're living in an imaginative world And we're forcing that imaginative world forward moment after moment. So we live locked within time. Why do we think the second noble truth is to release desire? What is he saying? He's saying drop time. Drop it. Don't play with it as a fun object. Oh, I remember when... God, Hawaii was so great, but that was 10 years ago. Never mind, I can go. Now, where does dropping time take us? When the present is so diminished and all of our fulfillment comes from the past or the remembrance, from the future or the remembrance of past, and the worthlessness of the present, I just move through it. I don't even care what's here now. Meditation is supposed to at least have you contact what's here now. So you begin an appreciation of the present through the ability to tend to the present. Now this is where it gets... But even our attention to the present is not the present. It's the past representing the present. Like I have said, we coat a perception with recognition. In fact, recognition and perception neurologically are the same neurological pathway. I've said that many times. And it holds a key to what we're talking about today. That is the neurological pathway, when stimulated, doesn't know whether it's seeing life as it is or as it has been. And we coat what is with what has been. That's why we can recognize what everything is. In order to navigate the world, it's helpful to have a back ground knowledge of what this world is and we carry it within every perception. And it's impossible to know to the untrained eye. But we have been training our EYE, not the we have been training the eye and quieting. Now the past in the present Is only produced by noise. It's noise. That's how that's what the that's how the past convinces us that the present is the past, or the past is the present. Is that when we're quiet, we can hear the subtle thinking associated with an object, you knowing what that object is, and your history with that object. And is that one soft enough? I don't know. Maybe a better pillow. It's like that, and then it just proliferates out forever. So our relationship to the present isn't really a relationship to the present. It's a relationship to our past memories of the present as close as we can bring them. The sense of I is encased in the past, is encased in time. It has no relationship to now, whatsoever, except that its essence lives in the now. <laughs> so, try as we want to be outside of the present, evaluating whether we should enter the present, leave the present, f- flee to some other present. The sense of I being outside of time assures. That its division will always be maintained. Okay? Now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. I make it like a long line, but actually it's like this hand on hand. What does the now look like? Now, This is something we can do together right now, if you're willing. It doesn't have to be delayed because it's so obvious. What if you just relax the boundaries of this moment? Now the past and the future disappear because they have no relevance. It's the Now of all time. And it's forever present. Whatever direction I turn, it's present. Present tense, always. How do we miss this? How do we miss it? It's so obvious and so apparent and so reachable, so tangible because we encase ourselves outside of this experience. Oh, I've had that experience before. Even when we're trying to exclude time, the sense of I brings it back in. Now, where's the problem here? (laughs) It's not with now. (laughs) It's not with now. This is the wide open now. And there is a rest. Everything, if we just release the need to think ourselves on top of it, to cover it, to placate it, to make it reasonable and assured, if we just take a breather, the stillness that the now radiates is its own allure. It's like, whoa! What a hallmark. How could... Why would... Of course this is inconceivable because I'm not placing time past upon it. I'm not coding it with what I've known. The known is shut up. It's quiet. So it lands on its actual to see things as they are uncoded with time. That's what that means. Why don't we enter this? It's a matter of not thinking our way into or out of. That's all. What is the harm? What do we think is going to happen to us? The proximity of it is immediate. Oh, so I want to take us on the journey from zero to one. What's that journey look like? Because it happens like that, but what does it look like? As form, as it, it starts out absolutely still. The first emanation from that stillness is awareness. time-crushing awareness. Awareness has a knowing quality associated with it. Knowing is not thought. It's the simple knowing. So, knowing, when a bird sings, we don't call it a bird at the level of awareness. It's the sound It's sound. It's the hearing sound. Okay? Still there's no formation. Still there's no formation at the knowing level. But the mind clicks in and says, Oh, a bird song. Now there's a rudimentary formation that's occurring. We're making nothing into something. So as this nothing, which was just hearing, becomes a something of a bird song, the mind now brings forth its full inventory of description. Oh, I know that sound. I know that sound. Where was the I? In the sound. I know that sound. That's the sound of a robin. Whew. Now I proliferate out with vast information about birds or limited information about birds, wishing I had more information about birds, and now my narrative kicks in. Now the worldview kick- clicks in. Now I'm not alone with one unknown bird or known bird, I have a category of birds that I can rifle through in order to find the exact one which matches the sound of what I just heard. Where did that come from? Out of nothing. And the reification of form continues. Because once we have a narrative, we have a sense of I. And as it progresses and reifies, it gets sophisticated about the I, what the I needs. The world begins to extend itself into those needs and wishes and wants. The reification continues because I have a psychological problem with, I'm afraid of birds. And so I have to do work to try to understand this mind and why it's biting itself, creating this tortured sense of self-assumptions out of nothing. Moment to moment, nothing. Go back to zero, people. Come on with me. Deafening stillness. But I don't call it deafening stillness. I call it the open invitation to wonder. And that's at some point, all of this cacophony that we filled ourselves with through the reification of form upon form and thickening of form and distance from and encased in time and memory and all of that, suddenly our life isn't so enjoyable. It hurts. So we start reading Buddhism and Buddhism has something to do with suffering and despair. And we start wondering if there's a track out of this density that we've created and we decide to go the opposite direction. And as I've mentioned, that opposite direction contains all of the strategies we had in getting thicker and denser. And we think we'll just dense our way out of this thing. (laughs) Okay, so this should make some sense to you. Even if you're not following the actual realization of what is being said, you can't go that direction. This is powerlessness, not more powerfulness. This is emptying, not adding more. Just be wise enough to know what you're doing to yourself. This isn't a scavenger hunt for the perfect essence. This is landing and recognizing the essence that's already there and has always been there, never moved, has held held everything within its same in the same essence. And as we go back through the journey, now we're full on one fullness of one, we start walking this thing back towards zero confusing because we know ourselves as one. We want to hold on to what we've known. We like our self-recognition. We project project into the future what how I will be disseminated how I'll be eliminated because what does emptiness mean but I'm not around anymore and I'll just grieve myself now because I know I'm not going to be around if I keep on this path. So I'll just mourn myself <laughs> And all of it is a projected fear that never happens. <laughs> There's a comedy. This could be a great comedy if Shakespeare would take it on. And how quickly, how instantly we could move into now if we wanted. Instead, we want to spend decades getting ready. (laughs) That's why a flash of awakening turns the whole thing around. Whether you're ready or not, by God, there it is. (gasps) I never was that. I never was that fictional thing called me. I never was that. And in meditative spirit, we ask you to examine what you think you are even prior to having that flash turn around. Just look at yourself. Just be willing to ask questions about yourself to see where this line of questioning will take us. Is the self what you think it is? I mean, don't you want to know? Or do you want to cast the big lie on it? Slap yourself sober here. I want to know. I really want to know. I don't care where it takes me. When I was young in this, in my mid-20s, I read where some guru in India Said to the audience, I'm going to give you one minute for anyone who would like to come up and know the truth now. And there's like thousands of people or hundreds of people. I don't know how big the audience was. And he says, The minute's up, but no one has come. And I thought, By God, I would have run up there. And I don't know how, to, and that was like my opening days because that urge is and has always been, I don't care. Better to live to in truth than to live a single moment in lie. And the truth is benign, it's benevolent. It's tender, it's caring, it's complete. When we take ourselves out of time, the I never feels complete because it's taken taken itself, covered it with something that is encased away from the present, away from now. So it feels incomplete, rightfully so. Coming back, oh, it's just <sighs> breathtaking completeness, breathtaking wonder, breathtaking stillness. What is time? Is time real or imaginary? If it's a thought contained in a thought, but let me take it a step deeper. The movements you see in life, what you call, are mental movements. There's no differentiation between the outside and the inside. This moves, that moves. Because this is always in movement, With time, that's always in movement in time. We call that a Nietzsche. That's a relative truth, not an absolute truth. That's supposed to make us disenchanted with form. It should make you disenchanted with mind, because that's what imparts the movement. Nothing moves. Essence does not move. Now we're asked to rejoin essence and we're asked to merge with essence and rejoin the movement. Because it's, we're alive. That's what this thing does. And everybody thinks that they're in movement and everybody thinks they're real. And that's a hell of a lot of suffering going on. And so the heart of now, the heart of stillness, responds to that. It doesn't want, it, it knows there's an alleviation, a way out of that, a way out of that. So it needs to show up for people in movement, even though that's a complete fiction. It doesn't. That's not even in the script. This is all an illusion. Get out of it. Come on. Wake up. It's no. You enter the depth of the pain as it's being presented. You enter that. That's the way to help someone out. Not to scold them for being in pain. And some people don't want to share their pain because they're too tied into the time of who they are. And at some point, maybe I'll know you well enough to be able to share something or something, but probably not in a month. (laughs) And we're covered with now, all the time. When you can get... You get a sense that this is boundless you Get a sense that it's now is not in time it holds all time but it itself is not in time and we can sense it we just don't want to join it we don't want to immerse ourselves in our essence We want to prepare for that immersion. So we have Dharma talks. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Every one of you hold enough truth to be, help, to be able to help someone in your life. Every one of you. And this is a time in which people need help. Do not shy away from that responsibility. Okay, all. Let's sit for a minute or two.